here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Lots to cover tonight. Welcome. Um, my special with President Trump ran at 11 p.m. Eastern Time for obvious reasons. It will run at 8 p.m. next Sunday after Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving weekend at its regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern. There's actually two parts to the interview. And he really is quite fascinating as he goes through his presidency and so forth. And his book is fantastic. Just beautiful. And you can get that at uh, 45, the number 45books.com, 45books.com. I don't even think it's on Amazon right now. I don't think any former president has been treated this way. But let's roll on here. Well, you saw the slaughter that took place at the Waukesha Parade, or at least you saw part of it in the discussion that, that followed, and, and now the suspect has been charged. We have a thoroughly, completely, and grotesquely racist media in this country, as I explained the other week and weeks prior. It is also anti-Semitic, It's also part of the American Marxist movement. It is a reflection of the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is a reflection of it. Our friend Daniel Horowitz at The Blaze, he says, Last Sunday night it appeared that the Waukesha attack would dominate the news cycle for the upcoming holiday week. After all, it's not every day that a man-man plows his car at full speed into a Christmas parade, killing five and injuring 40. Yet by the time I woke up this morning to search out information on the alleged attacker, I could barely find any mainstream media articles probing the background of the suspect. Now I know why. Daryl Edwards Brooks Jr. And by the way, if I were MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of the rest of the American Marxist Democrat Party propaganda media, 
and this man were white, that would be the lead story. Would it not, Mr. Producer? He's white. He's part of the deplorables. There's connections with Trump. Now, how do I know this? Because we all know this. What they did to Kyle Rittenhouse. White nationalist, militia. They're still attacking him. They're still attacking our jury system. It's unbelievable. But he goes on. Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., 39 of Milwaukee, was arrested Sunday night. And at the time this article published, is being held as a person of interest. He's the person of interest. In the attack where a red Ford escape can be seen plowing into the Christmas parade, an act that resulted in at least five fatalities. Brooks is a rapper who goes by Math Boy Fly on social media and had just posted on the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict prior to the attack. Well, we don't know if he was motivated by BLM or Antifa-related sentiments. We do know that he is a career criminal who was just released from jail on low bail. Now, this is a pattern. This is a big pattern. The three people shot by Rittenhouse were all felons at one point, and two of them violent felons. And so there's something terribly wrong with this bail that's taking place, with the failure of prosecutors, with the failure of judges, undermining law enforcement. According to court documents, Brooks was charged in Milwaukee on, nine, on uh, November 5 for resisting an officer, felony bail jumping, second-degree reckless endangering safety with domestic abuse assessments, and disorderly conduct and battery. It's all on the public record. Brooks was released last Friday, last Friday, on just $1,000 bail despite a prior rap sheet. Even if one believes that these crimes don't warrant his being held pre-trial on a higher bail threshold, the fact remains that he was charged with multiple crimes while already out on bail for other felonies. And if he still been in custody, five people not, might not be dead today. In July 2020, Brooks was charged with two felony uses of dangerous weapons and a possession of a gun as a felon, which is also a felony. And we're finding throughout the country that gun felons with prior violent records are being released on low bail or no bail. Brooks was released on February 2021 on just $500. Heavy.com obtained his full rap sheet from Wisconsin court records and found charges of uh, battery, gun misuse, strangulation and suffocation, and property destruction dating as far back as 1999. Also, someone with his name and year of birth and with a picture that matches Brooks' description is registered as a Tier 2 sex offender on the sex offender registry in Nevada. There's a video online of Brooks discussing the incident in Nevada where he claims he didn't know the girl was 16 years old. On October 18, 2006, there was a deposition in Washoe County Court against a man with the same name for statutory sexual seduction. In June 2016, he was charged in the same court for failing to obey sex offender laws. His social media posts are replete with anti-police and black nationalist rhetoric. The tragedy is that a man with a history of violence and gun felonies is now accused of killing five people with a vehicle. This case demonstrates once again that guns don't kill career criminals who get undeterred and unpunished kill. As I noted, 
last week, aside from the culture of leniency that has permeated the justice system in all 50 states. The COVID shutdowns have caused such a backlog in the courts that high-level criminals are being released on low bail indefinitely with no court date in sight. This is a forgotten yet potent casualty of the lockdowns that will reverberate through our society for years to come. And we need more funding for prosecutors in courts, real prosecutors, aimed and targeting repeat violent offenders and for enforcing or strengthening three strikes and your outlaws. Whether the attack was motivated by anti-white or anti-police animus is yet to be seen. But the clear implication from this case is that there are likely thousands of violent criminals out on streets because of weak sentencing, pre-trial bail policies, and backlogs in the court, and I might add, illegal immigration. Any state legislature that fails to deal with this systemic problem during the upcoming 2022 legislative sessions will have blood on their hands for years to come. Unfortunately, there's never a clamor from the public to learn from the lessons of these attacks because they're frequently complete information blackouts from the media when the facts don't fit their narrative. Indeed, the Walshaw attack is likely to become the new Las Vegas shooting. And so you see the completely, fundamentally racist media cover certain stories one way and certain stories another way. And it is a disgusting disgrace. Disgusting disgrace. And when we come back, I'll prove my point. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, I watched a clip of Jalen Rose on the sideline at a basketball game, and he felt compelled to comment on this guy, Blake, who was shot by the cops multiple times. First, he said Blake was killed. That was a lie. Blake was not killed. Blake had just abused and was accused of molesting, I believe it was his ex-wife, She called the police. Uh, He had multiple situations of domestic abuse. Um, He uh, ran out to the car. He wouldn't give up to the police. They tried to resolve this. They couldn't resolve it. He kept walking around the car. They told him to stop. He wouldn't stop. They tased him. That didn't stop him. So he reaches in the car, 
He has a knife. And this is the man we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. And Jalen Rose says he was killed. He was not killed. And of course, Jalen Rose comes to his defense. Michael Strahan gave him a uh, softball interview not too long ago. His uncle's at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial when the decision's made by the jury. Going on and on about what a racist country this is. That the Klan and neo-Nazis bailed him out. I believe it was uh, Blake's uncle, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? Nobody corrected Jalen Rose. I don't know if Jalen Rose has apologized since, but I want you to understand something, folks. Whether it's ESPN, that I believe is still owned by Disney, whether it's MSNBC, which is owned by Comcast, whether it's CNN, which is owned by AT&T, these massive corporations are giving voice, loud voice, to racists, to flat-out racists. And they are lighting the fuse for violence in this country in ways I've never seen in my life. Because the media are not free. They're tyrannical. Now, first of all, just to remind you, about two minutes or so, of a tremendous speech that was given in 1963 at the feet of Abraham Lincoln, the foot of the Lincoln Memorial, by Martin Luther King. There were about a quarter million people or so there. Go ahead. One day, this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. You know who doesn't agree with that? The scholars, the authors, the television hosts, the others who push critical race theory. Critical race theory specifically rejects a colorblind society. It insists on a color-based society. And so, Derek Bell one of the founding fathers of the movement in the 1970s, a Harvard Law School professor. He made it abundantly clear, we're not looking for a colorblind society. We're not looking for that at all. 
Everything associated with this society is poisoned by the white dominant influence in this society. The laws cannot possibly be just. The economic system cannot possibly be just. It is all here to serve the white man. And so that's why, as a Marxist, he believed that society must be overthrown. Started anew. A blank slate. Pure Marxism. And you hear this from Tiffany Cross on MSNBC Saturday, who's obviously looking for a weekly gig. She's seeing Joy Reid spreading her racist poison, as before she spread her homophobic poison. And she's seeing Joy Reid get a primetime show on MSNBC, again owned by Comcast, where she spews her hate on a nightly basis. And she wants to climb the ladder over there at MSNBC, too. And so Kyle Rittenhouse is found innocent in a jury trial. Much the way Andrew Coffey was found not guilty on five counts, including murder and attempted murder. Who's Andrew Coffey? Andrew Coffey is an African-American. He was found not guilty on all counts of murder and attempted first-degree murder on Friday. He was accused of firing at Indian River County Sheriff's deputies during an early morning drug raid at his home back in 2017. His girlfriend, Alteria Woods, was caught in the crossfire, shot ten times. She died. Coffey was charged with the murder of Woods after a grand jury exonerated two law enforcement officers for her death. Before the case went to the jury's hands, Coffey took the stand to defend himself, blaming deputies for his girlfriend's death. The defense said Coffey was asleep and thought the the flashbang was gunfire, so he fired his gun because he thought he was under attack. Prosecutors said deputies did announce they were there. Coffey was found guilty on account of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, which could have a penalty up to 30 years. He was also found not guilty in the murder of Woods. Now, what does all this mean? Well, I'll explain when I return. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Five dead. 33 wounded in weekend shootings across Chicago. This is... CBS 2, Chicago. Five dead. At least 38 people were shot over the weekend in Chicago, and five of the victims have died. Of those shot, at least seven were under 18 years old. In one incident, two teen boys, 15 and 16, were shot while standing on a sidewalk in Fernwood neighbor, uh, neighborhood. The incident happened in the 10,000 block of South Parnell. At least six people have died from gun violence in the city as of Saturday night. In the fatal shooting of the weekend, a man was shot and killed and another was wounded in West Englewood. A 35-year-old man was found inside a residence with a gunshot wound to the hip. A 45-year-old man also found in a parked vehicle outside with gunshot wounds to the chest and head. 
The 35-year-old was transported by the Chicago Fire Department to Christ Hospital and was initially listed in good condition. Then the 45-year-old was transported to Advocate Christ Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. In another deadly incident, 22-year-old man was shot in the head Saturday afternoon in North Lawndale, according to authorities. The victim was standing on the corner when an unknown person walked up and shot him in the head. Police also said a 47-year-old man was shot in a drive-by around 2 p.m. Saturday as he stood on a sidewalk. He suffered a gunshot wound to the lower right abdomen. He was taken to Stroger Hospital and was pronounced dead. On Sunday, a 19-year-old man was shot in the head in the 6700 block of South Merrill Avenue in South Shore neighborhood. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene. A 14-year-old boy was killed in a shooting in the city's Roseland neighborhood Sunday. Police said he was near a sidewalk shortly after 5 p.m. when he was struck multiple times. He was pronounced dead on the scene. A 16-year-old boy suffered a gunshot wound to the leg in East Garfield Park Saturday afternoon. He was walking when he heard shots and felt pain. 34-year-old man was shot during a robbery early Saturday morning. The victim was outside when he was shot multiple times by an unidentified male offender who fled the scene. The victim sustained gun wounds to the head and three to the arm. A 27-year-old man suffered a gunshot wound to the back of the head in Roslyn neighborhood early Saturday morning. The victim was driving southbound on Michigan Avenue when he heard shots, felt pain, crashed into two parked cars. He's in critical condition. A man was shot following a verbal altercation early Saturday morning in the Belmont Heights neighborhood. Police said the 41-year-old victim suffered a gunshot wound to his groin following a verbal altercation with the offender. He's in good condition. A 20-year-old man was shot while driving in the Archer Heights neighborhood early Saturday morning. The victim was a passenger in a traveling vehicle when an unknown Hispanic man fired shots from a past dark color, passing dark-colored Dodge Durango, striking the victim in the face. A 31-year-old man suffered a gunshot wound to the upper body in West Woodland neighborhood on Friday evening, around 7 p.m. He was standing outside when a dark-colored Nissan drove by and an offender fired shots, striking the victim. He's in critical condition. A 25-year-old man was shot in West Pullum neighborhood Friday evening. He was sitting in his residence when two unknown males approached the victim's residence and fired shots from the outside, striking him in the leg. A 17-year-old girl was shot while driving Friday evening in Englewood. She was driving a vehicle when she pulled up to a stoplight in a blue-colored sedan, pulled up alongside the victim's vehicle. An unknown offender from the sedan fired shots, striking her, wounding her in the upper back. Two teen boys were shot in the Ferdwood neighborhood Friday evening. Authorities said a 15-year-old, 16-year-old victims were on the sidewalk when they both sustained gunshot wounds on their left legs by an unknown offender. A, 50-year-old, a 58-year-old man was shot and wounded in Englewood Friday evening. Police said around 5.15, victims suffered shots to the right leg and shoulder. And a 27-year-old man was shot in Calumet. A Calumet Heights early Sunday morning. The man was a passenger in vehicle when shots were filed and the victim was struck. He's listed in critical condition.
What do you think, Mr. Producer? Sounds like Afghanistan. Sounds like Iraq. I just provided you with more coverage of what took place in Chicago this weekend than any news organization, perhaps outside of Chicago. And these other news organizations are talking about white supremacists. They're talking about white justice. See, these phony advocates, these phony advocates dressed up as journalists, they're political hacks, they're ideological hacks. They don't spend a minute on what goes on this in the weekends in our inner cities. Not a minute. Not one minute. For, for one, they wouldn't get ratings. For two, it destroys the narrative. That we're all human beings. That we should have compassion for each other. That the issue isn't a systemically racist police force. Notice they don't talk about that anymore. Now it's about vigilanteism. So we had to defund or slash the budgets of systemically racist police forces, they call them. And now it's vigilanteism if you defend yourself. But all that's going on in this country, the thousands and thousands of murders, the overwhelming majority, which are black young men against black young men, get almost no attention. Particularly on CNN and MSNBC. Particularly by Joy Reid and Tiffany Cross and Al Sharpton. Not to mention... Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, and Fredo Cuomo and all the rest. It's shocking. So what does Tiffany Cross, a nobody, a nobody, a host on MSNBC Saturday, what does she make of all this? While the mayhem and carnage is going on in the inner cities, what does she make of all this? Cut five, go. He wasn't the only lawmaker to make this point. Uh, Paul Gosar, whose own family doesn't like him, um, said that he w- wanted uh, Kyle as an intern. I-, I find these people disgusting, Ellie. I'm disgusted at what I'm seeing. It's not just this trial, it's other trials. But this in particular, the fact that white supremacists roam the halls of Congress freely and celebrate this little murderous white supremacist, and the fact that he gets to walk the streets freely, it lets you know these people have access to instituting uh, ah, Shut law- up, you moron. You racist moron that's exactly what you are that is exactly what you are little white supremacist murderist little murderous white supremacist that is a perfect lawsuit perfect he was found not guilty in each case and he's not a white supremacist but it doesn't matter What about Andrew Coffey? Is he a white supremacist? Is he a black nationalist? What is he? He's none of those things. I told you the media, the American media are racist. They embrace this critical race theory. Somebody like Tiffany Cross can get on the air and say the things that she says, knowing full well that her bosses at MSNBC and the overlords over there at Comcast are pleased with her. The corporate media, 
is destroying our country with the reprobates, the miscreants, and the malcontents they hire. It's shocking. Ellie Mistel of The Nation, which is a radical left, I don't even know what they call it anymore, magazine, she was on the same show. They cherry-picked their guests for this very purpose. Cut six, go. The Honorable Prophet Ellie, you punctuate the point why none of us were surprised yesterday. That does not make the decision, however, any less outrageous. This happened because this is what the white justice system was designed to do, all right? This is not a miscarriage of justice. This is justice working as intended for white people. And the way you know that Got is that? Because- Got that? These stereotypes, the broad strokes, the ad hominem attacks against the entire system, against judges, against juries, as racist for white people, is sickening. The case in Kenosha didn't involve anybody but white people. But it doesn't matter. Because Ellie Mistel, Ellie Mistel, the Honorable Prophet, is he a prophet, Mr. Producer? The Honorable Prophet, or whomever, says so. The whole system is built for white people. Except for all the white people who are convicted, I guess. Go ahead. The reason why I was able to predict that was because of the judge. The judge now, was in the, the reason tent. you were able to predict it, moron, is because it was predictable by everybody that this was a political prosecution brought on by a mob. A mob in the media, a mob in the streets, a mob in the Democrat Party. Can you imagine? If this was the kind of mindset that was in charge of justice in this country, can you imagine? So how do Ellie Mistel and Tiffany Cross, two nobodies, I never heard of them before, they've done nothing for any community as far as I'm concerned, undermine this country with their propaganda and their hate, how do they explain Andrew Coffey? If the justice system is built for white people, how do they explain Andrew Coffey? They can't. How do they explain this man, multiple felon, since 1999, who gets out on bail for 500 bucks, and two days later is driving a red Ford SUV into a crowd of innocent human beings? The white justice system? How do they explain that? They don't, and they don't have to. Because they don't want to debate anybody. They don't want to be challenged. This is propaganda, pure and simple. It is hate. It is poison. It is bigotry. It's racism. And often it's anti-Semitism. That's what Comcast has brought us on MSNBC. That's what AT&T has brought us on CNN. It's that simple. That's what it is. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. there's a lot of vigilantes in the streets of Chicago. Do we know their names? 
have big media at MSNBC and NBC, Comcast, a big media at CNN and AT&T, a big media at the New York Slimes and the Washington Combos, Bezos operation, and on and on and on. Have they gone into the city of Chicago or Washington or Baltimore or any major city to track down the perpetrators and their names to inform the American people? Have they? Have they? Is that white justice? What is that? And why don't they do it? And why aren't these hosts on MSNBC concerned about it? They don't even talk about it. Christmas is like what? What's today? 34 days away. That's it. 34 days away. Thanksgiving is three days away. Order your copy of American Marxism immediately to get to family members as either a gift or to bring to Thanksgiving to have a good solid, intelligent discussion. Maybe you'll persuade a few people, ask them to read it. And if you don't have time to send it to yourself and you're already away, well, that's the genius of the Internet. You can order the book and have it arrive or greet you at the location you're going to. I want to encourage you to go on Amazon.com or any major retail store as you're out there shopping. And please get your copies of American Marxism. This is a crucially important book. Those who have it, almost 1.2 million people. We have over 21,000 comments on Amazon. Five stars. You can even hear people on Fox and talk radio basically regurgitating some of what's in the book because they read it. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Is it not? MSNBC... Well, let me put it to you this way. CNN is dying altogether. They've now been acquired, and they're the boss of all bosses over there. The head of AT&T is flirting with the idea of changing its format back to a news format. What will all the reprobates, miscreants, and malcontents on CNN do? Well, maybe they'll join the Biden administration or the administration of... Uh, Chairman Xi over there in China. They have a lot in common. What about MSLSD? MSLSD, it's just a matter of time. When you have pukes on there who spew their hate and racism and their stupidity, it's tough to take. Speaking of which, when we come back, Joy Reid. Not to be ignored, of course. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Hello. Hello. 877-381-3811. I will be on Hannity tonight. Let's post that, Mr. Producer. 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. I will be on Hannity tonight. I hope you'll all be able to watch. I mean, what? 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 Now, I've made the assessment that Tiffany Cross, who's she? Good question. She's a bigot, in my view. Ellie Mistel, 
from the nation. The white justice system, this is what it was designed to do. I've made the, the suggestion that Tiffany Cross is trying to outdo Joy Reid because she wants a primetime gig on MSNBC too, and we all know how you get it. I mean, look at Joe Scarborough. He's been whoring himself for years now. May I say that with all due respect? I think I will, and without due respect. This guy will do anything for a buck. Look at him. He's not on TV because of his looks. He's not on TV because of his smarts. Then why is he on TV? Because he fits the mold, you know, like Nicole Wallace. Oh, former Republic. They have all these never-Trumper Republics on MSLSD. But Joy Reid, she's never been a sort of Scarborough type. She's been a bigot for a long time. You remember all that stuff about her social media and how she was attacking homosexuals and other things she would do? Just pretty nasty stuff. And that's why Comcast thought she should have a prime time slot. And that's why they charge you confiscatory rates for your cable. So Joy Reid is on MSLSD Friday. And uh, go. I mean, this is what we expected to happen. Now, you expected it to happen because it should have happened. It's amazing how they turn a case involving four white men into a racial issue. Is it not, ladies and gentlemen? And yet the slaughter in the inner cities, and I looked at these statistics, it's overwhelmingly black young men killing black young men, Almost no attention. And of course, it's not racist. It's crazy. And if you dare to talk about this stuff, you know, people have to worry about their careers being destroyed. Go ahead. I mean, this is what we expected to happen. Because I think we have to keep in mind when we're watching the criminal justice system at work, that it was designed to do exactly what it did today. Gun laws helped to enhance the design to allow this verdict to happen today. What, country- what, what does that incoherence even mean? So the police are systemically racist. Their budget should be eliminated or at least slashed. You should be left to the devices of murderers, rapists, burglars, whatever it is. You, your wife, or your girlfriend, your kids... We see where this has gotten us so far with just a little taste of Joy Reed justice. Murder through the roof, rape through the roof, businesses being forced out of neighborhoods that need the businesses there, including pharmaceutical uh, retail stores. These people live in wealthy areas. I don't know where Joy Reed lives, but I know where she doesn't live. I'm certain of it. And so they, they live the life of the top one-tenth of one percent in the country, but they're down for the revolution. As long as they don't have to be in the revolution, as long as they don't have to live in the revolution, as long as they don't have to uh, experience the consequences of the revolution, everything's fine. Makeup on, hair done, clothes paid for by the network, cameras on, 
spew your hate, your racism, your bigotry, your anti-Semitism, and overall your anti-Americanism. Then you're all done. How'd I do? How was I? Was I good? Oh, you were just great, Joy. Just terrific. Thank you. Where's my car? I want to go home. Oh, okay. Where's the driver? Oh, okay. Go ahead. On the idea of, of that white men had a, a, a particular kind of freedom and a particular kind of citizenship that only they have. Well, they if get, that's true, then why was Kyle Rittenhouse charged? Why was he charged? He was charged by white prosecutors. He wouldn't have been charged at all. First of all, he shouldn't have been charged at all. But he wouldn't have been charged at all. So what is she talking about? The country is built on the idea that white men had a particular kind of freedom and a particular kind of citizenship that only they have. See, part of the problem for Joy Reid and these American Marxists on the radical left is this. They embrace felons. Now look, if you've been a felon and you've come out and you've changed your life, I'm all for you. There's one man in particular who I happen to know, not well, but in a distant way, who is a terrific husband, a terrific citizen, who's a patriot. People can and do change their lives, but I'm not talking about that. Rosenbaum didn't change his life. Hubert didn't change his life. Gross, whatever his ass is, he didn't change his life. This guy the other day that drove through the, uh, the, 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 the playing band, the marching bands, and the, uh, and, and the uh, cheerleaders and everything, he, he didn't change his life. These are all felons who committed felony after felony after felony, and they keep committing felony if they could. Dangerous, dangerous men. And the Democrats, if you remember Bernie Sanders, he believes people should vote while they're in prison, even if they committed murder. Because they believe most of those folks are going to vote Democrats. The reason the border's open. And if you don't want them to vote, obviously you're a white supremacist. You believe in suppressing the vote. Joy Reid believes in suppressing the truth. She's a hater. And worse. And she and her friend, what is it, Toby, Tiffany, and, and others and so forth... It is they, in my view, who have blood on their hands. It is people like that will never allow this country to come together. Ever. And it's because big corporations and these corporatists, these CEOs and COOs and CFOs and these board members, they want this. They want the ratings increased if they can get them. But if not, they figure they're covering their asses. They're protecting themselves because we don't spend enough time going into their damn shareholder meetings raising hell. Whereas the other side does. They do. And they trash mouth and they smear and they slander and they libel. We pretty much scratch our heads and complain to each other. Go ahead. You know, from the slave catchers on, the right to inflict violence um, in the name of protecting property. That's like the foundational. Well, you know, you're such a jackass. How about the right to inflict pro- violence in the name of protecting your turf? 
as many gangs do. Is that okay? Is that what the founders intended? Is that what the founders created? You see, it's never anybody's fault. Here, Kyle Rittenhouse went through a full-fledged trial where the state tried to imprison him, where they cut corners on his constitutional rights, where they cut corners on the judge's orders, where they cut corners on the provision of evidence, where they cut corners on the cross-examination of witnesses. Now, MSNBC won't talk about that. CNN won't talk about that. The clowns at the Holocaust-denying New York Times won't talk about that. The clowns at the Washington Compost, they won't talk about it either. I mean, it's not Russia collusion, you know. It's, it's not covering up for Hunter Biden. So they're not going to give you the information. This country was built on. Let me tell you what this country was built on. This country was built on ideas that were never, ever established in any form of government. Not Athens, not Rome, none. Not Britain, even. Even though our framers borrowed ideas from Britain, they wanted to be distinct and different from Britain. And they borrowed great ideas from the greatest philosophers, from the Judeo-Christian morals. A lot of ideas, because they were starting this country anew. And they struggled with this issue of slavery. They struggled to the point that their children and grandchildren fought a civil war. I suppose they didn't have to fight a civil war, but they did. And the vast majority of those who fought the civil war, both for and against, were white. Not all, but the vast majority. Let's talk about the Union for a moment. And this white foundational creation of the United States in this white dominant culture why would men from the north who didn't own slaves who had nothing to do with slavery support abolition or even if they were neutral in the issue hadn't given it much thought many of them never met a slave they knew nothing about slaves Why would they put their lives on the line and fight to end it? Not just a few. In a nation of 24 to 25 million people. With about 17 million of them in the north. There were over 700,000 casualties. More deaths in the Civil War than World War II. That is shocking. One horrendous battle after another. People lost their arms and legs. Most of them wouldn't survive. If they were wounded horribly, they suffered. The country was turned inside out. Why don't they ever talk about the people in the Union who fought to abolish slavery, put their lives on the line? In some cases, families lost all their children. 
How come that's never discussed? How come the New York Times doesn't put out a study guide on who these people are? We have people in this country now who are second or third generation. Their families weren't even here during the Civil War. Their families weren't even here during slavery. Some of them are in Congress. Some of them are on TV trashing our country. Trashing the country. Really unbelievable how unhinged because they're pushing this Marxist agenda. If you don't support the agenda of centralized government, redistribution of wealth, where these people are in control, re-engineering society, deciding whether you should have property rights. Know that she attacks property, property, property. Well, people who work believe in property, whether it's their own money, their bank accounts, their pensions, their health care plans, whether it's their own home or whatever it is. Yes, they believe in property because they earned it. They work with it with their own two hands and their own their own brain tissue. But it's a funny thing, ladies and gentlemen. When negotiation time comes up for Joy Reid's contract, she cares about property too. And she wants a lot of it. All these people want property. They want property in tenure. They want property when they give speeches, money. They want to get paid when they show up on TV. They believe in property too. It's just that They don't believe you should have decisions about your property, that they should make decisions about your property. That's true, you know. But who were these men? These men. Some of them as young as 12 or 13 years old. Boys. Who put on that heavy wool union uniform who could march up to 20 miles a day in the sweltering heat in the south. March through woods and forests and rivers with poisonous snakes snakes and other kinds of animals. Knowing that they would go into a battle and they were likely to be severely wounded or mortally wounded, killed. Writing notes to their loved ones and putting it in their pockets. Writing notes in their Bibles for their mother or their father. Holding on to memories of their loved ones. Pictures. Who were these men? They were mostly Christian. And they were mostly white. They were mostly Christian, and they were mostly white. And they fought to save the Union, and they fought to destroy slavery. I wonder if they'll teach that in the critical race theory classes. I wonder what Joy Reid has to say about that. Or Talib. Or Omar. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, don't forget, I'll be on Hannity 9, 25 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Obviously the last time this week. 
as you know, my 8 p.m. show was uh, preempted last night, understandably. My interview for a full hour with President Trump ran at 11 p.m. I suspect many of you didn't see it. It was the first interview of the president in some time exclusive. I went to Mar-a-Lago, and he did it in a different room. It's a beautiful ballroom. It's a beautiful place. That place was deteriorating. Uh, he's put, put a small fortune, a big fortune, into the place built. And it gets no, no respect for all the things he's actually built and made and created. And so unlike Biden, Biden has been a leech his entire life. So anyway, uh, that will run um, this Sunday at 8 p.m. You know, you'll have your Thanksgiving weekend and so forth. I hope you'll check it out. If you can't watch it live, you can always DVR it. You can DVR it before you go to your Thanksgiving location. But the president and I went on for some time, so we're actually making two shows out of this. So a significant part of the following Sunday show will also be the interview with the president. Now, the president does interviews with others. I got it. A whole uh, conga line of people, at my colleagues and brothers and sisters at Fox. But not this kind of interview. In fact, after the people watched it when I was doing it right in the room, they said, holy mackerel, because he's relaxed and he's giving a lot of information, and I let him speak. So don't forget to check it out. I'll be right back. Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. We're moving and we're grooving. Hat tip to my man Marvin. Moving and grooving. <laughs> uh, nobody knows what I'm talking about, but it really doesn't matter. Derek Johnson, does anybody know who Derek Johnson is? Well, the Derek Johnson I know used to play first base many, many, many years ago for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's, he's since gone. Um, in one year, he had the home run record. I think he only hit 32 or 34 homers, but he was my favorite player. You, want, you know why? He was like a tough, blue-collar baseball player. In the pinch, he always seemed to perform. Nothing flashy about him. I think he'd like to have a drink or two from time to time like to chew his tobacco from time to time. Very, very good with the fans. Derek Johnson. But I'm not talking about that Derek Johnson. I'm talking about the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. And he was on Face the Nation, discussing the Rittenhouse case. Now that's fascinating to me. He's on Face the Nation, discussing the Rittenhouse case. And they keep making this a racial case. Well, there were three white men, all felons, who were shot. One white teenager, a white judge, white prosecutors, and white defense counsel. So, Mr. Producer, what what was racist here? Got me. But Derek Johnson went on the Deface the Nation program. That's why, why do you watch these shows? I never watch them. Mr. Producer has to get the clips. I won't watch this crap. Life's too short. Life is too short. I'd rather take a CLE course 
uh, in law in order to uh, retain my license. And trust me, that's like watching paint dry. And actually less exciting. My wife loves these courses. I can't stand them. Anyway, where was I? Derek Johnson, NAACP president on Deface the Nation. Cut nine, go. It's hard for African Americans to reconcile what we witnessed in that trial. Now, this is what always amazes me. So he speaks for all African Americans. I could ask people to call this program. We have millions listening at any given time all across the country. And I found out all across the world. I'll tell you about that in a moment. And... Ask them, if, first, do they know who Derek Johnson is? Many will say no. And secondly, I ask them, well, does he represent you? Many of them will say no, but he claims to. So let's start from the top. Go ahead. It's hard for African Americans to reconcile what we witnessed in that trial. We have far too many individuals sitting in jail for crimes they didn't commit. How do you know that? How do you know people are sitting in jail for crimes they didn't commit? How do you know that? I'm quite serious. He has no idea. Go ahead. For crimes that were committed. And here you have a 17-year-old who illegally purchased a okay, gun. Okay, he never purchased a gun. Oh, for God's sakes. I have to go through this. He never purchased a gun. They had to drop the charge that was brought wrongly about him illegally having a rifle. Because under Wisconsin law, it was not illegal unless the, uh, unless the barrel was shorter, like a sawed-off shotgun. But that's not what they had. They measured it, and that had to be dropped. Then the judge dropped it. Should never have been charged for that count. So he never bought it. And as a 17-year-old, yes, he was allowed to have that rifle. Go ahead. State lines. He didn't travel across state lines. When they mean travel across state lines, they mean travel across state lines to commit some kind of an offense. He didn't travel across state lines to commit an offense, let alone to shoot people. So that doesn't make any sense. So number one, lie. Number two, lie. Go ahead. Property that was not his for owners that, who did not invite him. Okay. He went there to protect a lot for an owner who did invite him and asked for his help. Number one, he primarily went there to provide aid, including medical aid. And he came with a fire extinguisher, and I believe you're allowed to cross state lines with a fire extinguisher. And so here you have the president of the NAACP lying through his teeth, creating his own narrative and projecting it, and he's not interrupted by the clown on Deface the Nation. Go ahead. Put himself in harm's way. Put himself in harm's way. That's a new one. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if people are rioting or people are threatening you, or if there's mayhem and anarchy and all the rest of it, you have no rights. The lawless have all the rights. They have the right to any block they take, any part of the town they take, the whole town if they take it. You're not to put yourself in harm's way. Because by putting yourselves in harm's way to put out a fire, to provide medical assistance, and to help somebody protect their lot, you're the provocateur. You're in the way. We don't want any good Samaritans anymore, don't you see? We don't have good Samaritans. We only have vigilantes. How dare you stand up to the mob? Now, if you don't think the Democrat Party supports violent mobs, then you've been smoking something. Because they defend the violent mobs. 
They defend the violent mobs against a 17-year-old who was just cleared of all charges because he was defending himself. And thank God he did or he'd be dead. So the violent mob is the Democrat Party. The violent mob are the media. The violent mob is academia. That's why they're focused on January 6th to take all your attention away from who they are, what they do, day in and day out. January 6th was one day. Every day, the mob, every day in our communities, left, right, black, white, doesn't matter. Go ahead. The rhetoric that he's seen on social media platforms. So it's hard to reconcile. The rhetoric that he's seen on social media platforms had nothing to do with anything. So right now, just listen to what this guy has said. None of it's true. The president of NAACP. None of it's true. Go ahead with the experience that many African-Americans have faced over the, uh, several decades. So this... Okay, this, okay, this, this verdict has nothing to do with what African-Americans have experienced over several decades. Each trial, the facts are taken independently, and the law is applied independently. It has nothing to do... So what is Derek Johnson saying? That he should have been convicted because of slavery. He should have been convicted because of Jim Crow. He should have been convicted because he knows of a trial that was unfair. What is he saying exactly? What is he saying? Go ahead. Now, for us, is a warning shot that vigilante justice is allowed in this country or in particular communities. Vigilante justice? They tried to kill him and he defended himself. Don't you get it? He didn't go there and start shooting people. He was assaulted multiple times. They were chasing him. They threatened to kill him. That's why everybody says, even on the Marxist radical left, we knew the outcome, you know, because of white dominant society. It had nothing to do with the white dominant society. The white dominant government are the ones that brought the charges. So what did Derek Johnson add to this? But fuel on the fire. Absolutely nothing. 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 Didn't get any of the facts right. Not one. And we can't reconcile this verdict, you see, with past verdicts involving African Americans. Well, in some cases that's true. In some cases it's probably not. But that has nothing to do with anything you're saying. Anything. I'm just, it's just unbelievable to me. This is CBS News, their Sunday show. CBS News, their Sunday show. It's as if these Sunday shows and CNN and MSNBC cable shows pick the most radical, extreme individuals they can to represent that perspective that America is unequivocally and irreparably racist. That's it. First it was the cops. Now it's the justice system. 
They'll go through one part of the culture after another. Then it's brainwashing people who work for major corporations. It's brainwashing our kids and our public school systems. This is why I try to explain to people, and it's not so easy, that the election about a month ago, give or take, three weeks ago, in Virginia, New Jersey, these other very, very important. Very important. And we need to keep winning them. But that's only one battle. It's one battle. It's not the whole war. It's one battle. These people are not going to give up on the radical left, the Marxists. They're not going to give up. They control many of these cultural elements in our society. And we have to be realistic about the fact that one election doesn't fix this. Because that means one election will destroy us. You know, double-edged sword. And this is what I keep trying to explain to people, and this is what I explain in American Marxism. This is more than an election. Elections are crucial, but it's bigger. We're up against an anti-American ideology that seeks to destroy the society, destroy the unity of this society by using diversity against diversity. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I will be on Hannity tonight. I don't remember if I mentioned this or not. I think I did. 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. I think you'll like my new hairdo, Mr. Producer. My new hairdo, I went to my barber, who speaks uh, broken English. She's terrific. I said, can't you... What's that? (laughs) I'm not allowed to talk about such people such a way, so I can't anymore, because he's on TV. Uh, That said, uh, is it better than his hair? Well, isn't no hair better than his hair? I think it is. Uh, But anyway, you should look. I have it all done differently. Now you're going to say, Mark, how can you do that? Well, leave it to me. I know what I'm doing. And by the way, it's the greatest thing. I love Thanksgiving. You know why? My mother-in-law cooks and bakes. My wife cooks and bakes. The kids cook and bake. I don't have to do anything. I just try and stay away and uh, and enjoy the the aroma, watch what I want to do, lie down, sit up, you know, my iPhone, not on my iPhone. We have great conversations, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I don't cook. I just don't cook. It doesn't mean I can't. I mean, when I was a uh, bachelor decades ago, I had these little ovens. You know, I don't like doing the big oven because I don't want to clean it. These little ovens. I'd make a steak, a hamburger, a hot dog. And before I knew anything about health, this is like, uh, how old was it, 20? That's what I would eat. Steak, okay, the next hamburger, next uh, hot dog, steak. Then every now and then fish sticks. You ever eat fish sticks, Mr. Producer? I love them. 
fistics. Easy, you can zap some corn maybe or some uh, green stuff, green, but I'm not big on it. But, but I'm changing my eating habits to some extent now because of the last time. I, I get, I'm tired of going in these hospitals, tired of having work on my heart. So I said, all right, look, my poor wife has been on, on me just over and over and over. Please do this. But finally I said, my poor wife cares more about my health than I do. So I've gone from, uh, you probably notice it on air, those of you who watch. Uh, I have like this now skinny neck. I don't know that it's that attractive, Mr. Producer. But I, I had a double chin, and my double chin was getting a triple chin. I said, well, what, what is this here? I'm starting to look like Christy. I don't want to do that. So I went from about 240, I'll tell you the truth, like 248 down to about 216 now. That's pretty good, right, Rich? And all I did was cut out dessert, cut out a lot of bread, not completely, cut out a lot of the Diet Cokes, don't eat fast food anymore. By the way, who can afford fast food anymore? You have a family of four or five, it's like 50 bucks, 40 bucks. Plus you have to fill up your car, it's unbelievable. Only problem is now I don't have a lot of clothes that fit, and I don't like shopping for clothes. So I went online, I got some stuff and so forth. All right, I'm rambling. Get your copy of American Marks. All of you who have it, I got it. I understand. But maybe you can get a copy for the people at Thanksgiving. Just even one copy. The cover will scare the libs, but the rest of it's very, you know, it's very important. This is a time for family to get together. This is a time for family to get together. For family, for faith, and for country. And the book is about the country. Perfect time. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Hello, 877-381-3811. Joe Biden has a plan to fix the economy, ladies and gentlemen, to bring down the price of gasoline, the price of food, to fix the supply chain, to bring down the inflation rate. He has a plan, and he's going to announce it tomorrow. You know what the plan is? To attack business and the private sector. You know where he got this idea from? Franklin Roosevelt. No matter what Franklin Roosevelt did, you see, the economy would get worse and worse. The unemployment rate would go up and up. He was effectively nationalizing industries through the back door by compelling them to do things they didn't think were so smart. He had a brain trust around him that basically set up trusts and wanted to manage them and tell them how to conduct their activities. It wasn't working. They took a terrible recession and they turned it into a 10-year depression. So they blamed Hoover. And then they blamed the private sector. And by blaming the private sector, he was actually able to do more 
in terms of spending, borrowing, and passing more laws on left and right. They need a boogeyman. The American Marxists need a boogeyman because their ideology is a disaster. They don't know how to run anything but their mouths. Joe Biden planning to blame business for inflation and higher prices, Breitbart writes. Uh, He's going to blame them for rising prices and higher inflation this week as his poll numbers continue to plunge. The president has scheduled a speech on the economy and, quote, lowering prices for the American people, unquote, at the White House tomorrow before he leaves for his Thanksgiving vacation in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Why is he going to Nantucket? Shouldn't he go to Martha's Vineyard with all the other kooks? It's got to be a Kennedy there somewhere. There's like four billion of them. But ladies and gentlemen, he's going to blame business for rising prices and higher inflation. He's going to use the worst kind of propaganda and demagoguery. Now he doesn't use it on the communist Chinese and Xi. He doesn't use it on the fascist Russians and and Putin. He doesn't use it on the Islamo-Nazis in Tehran. Now he uses it on Americans, whether it's Republican state legislature. That's Jim Crow. That's Jim Crow, I tell you. What, honey? Oh, my pants are down. Anyway, so um, so the guy that created this situation with inflation, gasoline prices, food prices, he's going to blame the very entities that are saying, stop the regulations, stop the prohibition, stop the taxes. The very businesses that were providing plentiful fuel at a very low price, that were providing plentiful food at a, food at a very low price, Plentiful everything. The shelves were full, even during the the height of the pandemic. This guy comes in, the one-man wrecking ball, and he's going to blame them, the very people who say, let us drill and produce more natural gas and oil. Let us frack. No, you can't do that. Well, the prices are going to go up. The supply is going to go down. We're going to have to rely on OPEC. We're going to have to rely even on our enemies. And then he blames those companies. Those companies, farmers and ranchers, their prices are going up. The price of fuel is going way, way up. The price price to transport the food, to package the food and so forth, going way, way up. He's going to blame them. He's going to blame the monopolies and the big cartels and all the rest of them, you know. They're behind the whole damn thing. The biggest monopoly and the biggest cartel in this country is led by Joe Biden. It's called the federal government. They go on, it's unclear how far Biden will go to put the blame for record inflation on American companies, but it's part of an emerging trend. Let me, let me explain. He's got all kinds of radicals, extremists, Marxists, and totalitarians all over that White House, and especially in the speechwriter's office. They're going to go full-bore Marxist. Biden already blamed meat processors for higher prices on meat and raised concerns about oil companies for rising costs of gasoline. He's accused companies of failing to move goods off of shipping docks quickly enough, blaming them for the supply chain problems. If the private sector doesn't step up, we're going to call them out and ask them to act, he said. Oh, wow. But inflation continues to rise at record levels. In October, it pushed prices of consumer goods up the most in 31 years. The president has tried to team up with large retailers to reassure Americans there will not be shortages of goods during Christmas and Thanksgiving. 
but the White House remains unprepared for handling rising inflation on Biden's watch. Yeah, because they caused it. And they want to push a bill that's going to put another couple of trillion dollars right up front into the economic system. It's not paid for. Even the hapless, feckless Congressional Budget Office says it's not paid for. 62% of American voters, including 14, uh, 41% of Democrats, blame Biden for rising inflation, according to a poll in October. And the White House continues to struggle with messaging. Well, here was their message. It's transitory, their word. Don't worry, it's transitory. Then it was, okay, but it's not that bad. You can handle it. What's wrong with you? It's actually good, one of their geniuses said, because that means you have a lot more money. And it's because of money putting pressure on the, the more money, demand, putting more pressure on supply that we have in inflation. So it's actually a good thing. That was the next message. And now the new message is it's not that much inflation. What's the problem? And now the fourth message is it's not our fault. Blame capitalism. Blame Exxon. Blame the meat processors. Blame the truckers. Blame everybody. Don't blame me. I'm just Joe Biden doing my thing. So that's what's going to happen. You're going to hear a Castro slash Stalin-like speech from a man. He's not a Marxist. He's not a social. No, he's a moderate. No, he's not a moderate. First of all, he's a chameleon, but he's clearly embraced these American Marxist movements. It's his signature on these executive orders. It's his White House and staff that went after parents with the Department of Justice and the FBI and school board meetings. It's his decision to keep the border wide open. It's his plan to spend trillions more, to centralize the economy, to create a massive welfare state, and to have the border open. But he's a moderate, ladies and gentlemen. He's a centrist, this Joe But No, he's not. He's a radical. When he's had a chance as president of the United States, he's a radical. From Afghanistan. I mean, look at this. Where is that? Times of Israel. I'll bet nobody told you this, and nobody will if I don't tell you. This is the Times of Israel via the New York Times. United States warns Israel its attacks on Iran nuclear program, if it attacks, it'll be counterproductive. New York Times. Running in the Times of Israel, but the New York Times. Now, Iran hears that. What do you think they're doing? Okay, we can do whatever the hell we want to. And they are doing whatever the hell they want to. I told you before this election that our enemies are rooting for Joe Biden, just as our enemies actually rooted for Hillary Clinton. Because the Democrat Party leadership hates us more than they hate our enemies. They want real diplomacy. They're cowards and sellouts to our enemies. Real diplomacy. But when it comes to us, they'll call us everything and call us anything. I want to remind Joe Biden that when he was hiding out in his basement, when he was hiding out in his basement, uh, eating uh, pistachio nuts, and by the way, apparently he's very messy, drops the, you know, the shells on the floor. Anyway, uh, and loosening his, uh, his false teeth. When he was hiding out in the basement, Everybody else was working or trying to work. American industry is not ripping off anybody. The federal government is ripping you off. 
It's the federal government that wants to give $450,000 to illegal aliens. It's the federal government that wants to redistribute wealth from people who produce wealth to people who don't. It's the federal government that wants to hire 87,000 new auditors to unleash them on we the people. And another $80 billion for the internal revenue. And $600 that moves in and out of your account can trigger an audit. It's the federal government that wants to do these things. Still, most of us don't work for the federal government, even though that employment level is growing. It's growing. It's the federal government that can't manage the border and won't manage the border and secure the border. It's the federal government that's running up the debt, printing trillions of dollars like never before, causing inflation. It's not Walmart. It's not Macy's. Corporations don't even have that kind of power. They're nothing compared to the size and power of the federal government. The federal government is the biggest landlord, the biggest tenant. It's the biggest pension provider. It's the biggest medical provider. It's the biggest loan giver. It's the biggest purchaser. I mean, the federal government is the biggest everything it wants to be. So when you go over after a company, Exxon is nothing compared to the federal government. Walmart is nothing compared to the federal government. Plus, what's the federal government done for you lately? Driven up your prices. You can't even go to a fast food restaurant and get anything under $5 anymore. How do I know? I went and looked at their menu because I don't eat there anymore. I looked at the menu. I said, how the hell does a family of four or five even go through a fast food uh, drive-thru anymore? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, most of the media out there isn't really media, they're propagandists. When they write about this show, oh, Mark said this and Mark said that, usually they're either wrong, sometimes they're right, but they just can't believe it. But we like to talk about smart stuff, too. We like to talk about smart stuff often with smart people. And one of them is my good friend, professor, law professor, Randy Barnett. Randy, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Mark. Uh, It's been a long time since we've seen each other in person. Hopefully we'll get together sooner rather than later. No, I don't let anyone see me. I lock myself in the basement like Joe Biden. I'll be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. Randy Barnett, I hope the family's doing well. You've written a fantastic book, The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. And there's really very few shows that you can talk about this, but this is something that uh, really fascinates me and the audience. Um, The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. Tell us, you know, a thumbnail sketch. What's in the 14th Amendment, and what did the drafters intend? Right. Well, after the uh, Civil War, the Republicans in Congress uh, prohibited slavery in the 13th Amendment, and they had every reason to believe that once slavery was abolished, then the freedmen um, and their Republican allies in the South would be able to go about their business. But that, of course, is not what happened. What happened instead was the imposition on African Americans of the Black Codes, which were a discriminatory set of laws that basically reduced the freedmen to something close to slavery, as close to slavery as they could get. And white Republicans in the South were also being put upon by militiamen and other uh, armed terrorists, and and everybody there, especially African-Americans, were the subject 
of massacres and other sorts of abuses. And so in response to this white supremacy, this movement, this organized terrorism on behalf of white supremacy, um, the Republicans in Congress did a lot to fight back. They passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which protected fundamental rights, but it was vetoed by President Johnson, who said they didn't have the authority to pass it. Most Republicans thought they did. They overwhelmingly uh, approved it over the veto. But just to be sure, and to make sure that the law wouldn't be repealed when the Democrats came back, they enacted the 14th Amendment. So the 14th Amendment is goes beyond the 13th Amendment to protect the fundamental rights of each and every one of us as citizens of the United States from being abused by our government. So every time your pub, uh, members of your audience have heard about a First Amendment challenge uh, to the to the states or a Second Amendment challenge to the states, uh, they are really actually hearing about a Fourteenth Amendment challenge, as you know, Mark. That's right. Although they're doing their the challenges are happening under the wrong clauses. Tell them why, because I've made this argument over and over again. Go ahead. Right. Well, these 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 substantive rights have been incorporated in the due process of law, the due process of law clause, which says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. Mm-hmm. But that's not what that purpose of that clause originally was. And in the in the in our book, the original meaning of the 14th Amendment, we discuss each of the four clauses in Section one and also Congress's enforcement powers in Section five. There are four operative clauses in Section one. There's the citizenship clause the Privileges or Immunities Clause, the Due Process of Law Clause, and the Equal Protection Clause. And it was the Privileges or Immunities Clause which says, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States that was intended to protect fundamental rights, substantive rights, from state infringement, like the right to keep and bear arms, like the freedom of speech, like the right of assembly. Um, And, however, that that particular clause was read out of the Constitution in an infamous 1873 case, the Slaughterhouse Cases, and again in an even more infamous case, the Crookshank Case. Um, And so from 1873 until today, that clause just doesn't exist. It's been used once by the Supreme Court and once by Justice Thomas in protecting the right to keep and bear arms in the McDonald case. But other than those two examples, in all of these years, that clause just doesn't exist. So what the court did instead is they used the due process clause to do much of the work that the privilege immunities clause was supposed to do. Yeah, you know what else is interesting? Um, there's this letter that uh, Madison wrote, you know, bef- well before the Civil War, but he could see things were starting to split up. And um, he writes this letter because somebody asked him, he said, what do you make of, you know, this uh, can states nullify federal law and so forth? And he said, once a state became part of the Union, their citizens became citizens of the United States. So they have independent rights from their rights as state citizens. And this sort of undergirds, I think, what you're talking about when it comes to the Equal Protection Clause and, and really the, in, the incorporation of most of the Bill of Rights, Right. Absolutely. It, it, it informs the whole of Section 1. All of those clauses are informed by the Citizenship Clause, which says that all persons born or naturalized in, uh, uh, in the United States and subject to it, uh, its jurisdiction are citizens of the United States. Uh, that just puts into law this growing view that Madison shared with the anti-slavery movement, mm-hmm. but which was denied 
um, by, for example, Chief Justice Taney and Dred Scott on behalf of the majority of the court. That's what the Republicans reversed. The first sentence of the 14th Amendment is put there to reverse Dred Scott versus Sanford. Now, what about the use of the 14th? We only have a minute. Can you hold on after the break, Randy? Absolutely. Because this is a little too important just to do in seven or eight minutes. When we come back from the break, my question to you is, and I know we're jumping around, but we don't have a lot of time. The use of the 14th Amendment today, has it been put to good use by the court, bad use to the court, or is it all over the map? The 14th Amendment. I will answer answer that question. All right. We will be right back, ladies and gentlemen. There's a very important question. We'll see where Randy comes down. I'll be right back. Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. The 14th Amendment is very, very, very important. And the book is The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. It's a fantastic book. You can get it on Amazon.com, which we link to on my social sites. Again, the book is The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. Randy Barnett is a brilliant man. He's a good guy. And he writes in a way that is persuasive and understandable even though he's a professor at, uh, at Georgetown Law. Um, but before we get back to Randy. So, Randy Barnett, your outstanding book, The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. What has happened to the 14th Amendment? Anything? Well, um, the court has used it for good purposes. Eventually, they got around to enforcing uh, most all the rights that are in the first 10 amendments we call the Bill of Rights against the states. Uh, only most re- I mean, most recently they did the excessive fines clause, but it wasn't until 2010 that the right to keep and bear arms was applied to the states via the 14th Amendment. So that's all good. The problem is that they've limited themselves to rights that are in the text of the amendment, of the, of the first 10 amendments. So for example, during the, this whole COVID thing, um, if, if a COVID regulation restricted the free exercise of religion, then the courts would step in but if it just restricted your right to pursue an occupation, the right to earn a living, which I would think is every bit as fundamental as the free exercise of religion, yeah, the right to they eat. wouldn't step in. Yeah. The right to eat, the right to, the right to work. Um, these are not considered to be protected rights as privileges or immunities of citizens as they should be, as they were um, at the time the 14th Amendment was enacted. The right to uh, uh, pursue a lawful occupation was considered a fundamental right. Um, as is the right to raise your own children. If you, if you limit the protection of rights simply to the ones that happen to be listed in the first eight amendments, you don't include a right to pursue an occupation to support yourself. You don't include the right to raise your own children as you see fit. Mm-hmm. These are fundamental rights that have long been enjoyed by citizens of the United States and which the court should protect against unreasonable regulation. That doesn't mean that, 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 that legislatures can't reasonably regulate in all of these areas, including the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. But it does mean that when they do that, courts need to look at it skeptically, which they did during COVID with respect to free exercise, but they did not with respect to every other aspect of how the COVID regulations have affected our lives. Are you concerned in the last few years in particular, you see this legislation being pushed through Congress, you see... Uh attacks on the independence of the court, attacks on separation of powers. I mean, really, recently. I mean, it's been going on, but I mean, really, it's come to a height now. Are you concerned about this? 
I'm very concerned. I testified in front of the uh, President's Commission on the, on the Supreme Court against court packing, and we see attacks on the Supreme Court. Now we're seeing attacks on the jury system um, uh, to delegitimate the jury system. Uh, it, it's and and efforts to you know to undermine the right to vote. Um, the, every aspect of our rule of law that is there to protect us from abusive governmental power is being systematically undermined. Um, and conservatives, unfortunately, conservative justices have only been somewhat half-hearted um, uh, in protecting these liberties, in part because they have not understood the true original meaning of the 14th Amendment. This book is a book as much for conservative judges to read as it is for the American people to read so that they will get on board and actually give the 14th Amendment the effect that the Republicans who passed it um, and enacted it wanted it to have. Well, you should have your publisher send it to the uh, to the six, at least the six justices on the court, maybe all of them. Um, I will be sending it to all nine, I think even tomorrow is when I plan to do that. Good. It says this is hot off the presses. This is a great book, The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. I am deeply concerned. I, I think with this constant threat of packing the court, it is, it is a, a cloud that hangs over the court, and these guys and gals have to look over their shoulder wondering what Congress is capable of. And uh, let me ask you this, Randy Barnett. Is Congress capable of being tyrannical? Absolutely. In fact, that's what, that's what the separation of powers and even the separation within Congress was meant to try to avoid. That's the reason why Congress gets divided into two separate houses to, prov- to start to fight its being tyrannical. The tyranny of the majority is what Madison referred to it as. Are we are we sensing some of that today? Well, we, we uh, so you know, we've got tyranny of the majority. We've got tyranny of the minority. I think we have tyranny um, everywhere. Uh, if you ask me. Yeah, it's uh, somebody should write a book about tyranny, Mark. <laughs> well, let me let me say this: your books are really good because I think they bridge sort of the scholars who should read it and people in my audience. You know, they can read it so everybody can understand it. How many books have you written now? I think this is my 12th. 12 books. Tell everybody how much work's involved. Well, this book, this was a big, this was a lot of work. This took about, I have a co-author, Evan Burnick, who did yeah. a lot of the work. But it took us three years uh, uh, to write this book. There, this, is the, this is the most comprehensive treatment of the original meaning of the 14th Amendment that's ever been published. Um, the closest that you know, the the most re- the the only other book that comes to mind is Raoul Berger's uh, Government by Judiciary, which was published in 1977, also by Harvard Press. And a great book. Um, ours is uh, well, I think it was wrong though, and I think That's our okay. book is an It'll answer to Berger's book. book. Yeah. It, and and our book is an answer to Berger's book. I think that's one reason why Harvard Press decided to publish it. Now that's interesting. Who would you consider like an accolade of uh, Berger's today? Some professor or something? Um, well, Robert Bork was. Um, yeah, but I'm talking uh, about somebody time. you could debate today. Um, they're 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 out there. Um, yeah. I'd have to think about who would be the best person. There are people. Mm. Look, we discuss other other originalist views of the Fourteenth Amendment. Ours is not the only one. We have a whole chapter on competing views. So you're not going to mm-hmm. just hear our view. You're going to hear other people's views as well. Um, so there are people we do debate, even in the book. Mm-hmm. We're not hiding the ball. But then you get to decide what, what you think, who you think is right. That's what I love about you and actually most people who aren't radical leftists, you know, because they want conformity. We'd like conformity, but conformity by persuasion, right? 
Yeah, and the fact that you're an originalist doesn't guarantee you're going to reach the same result. No. It just means you're aiming at the same objective, understanding the original meaning. You may disagree about what the conclusion is, but you're trying to find, you're trying to identify the same thing. And that's why you might have a Scalia and Thomas disagreeing on a, on a decision. Absolutely. But as respect, with respect to the 14th Amendment, Justice Thomas is kind of a hero when it comes to the 14th Amendment. He would revive the Privileges or Immunities Clause and wrote a, his fifth vote in McDonald was based solely on the Privileges or Immunities Clause, which applied the right to keep and bear arms to the states. He really is, isn't he, a fantastic justice who goes back and looks at these things and is really not persuaded by the by the media mob or current events or so forth. He's really trying to figure out the answer to these things, isn't he? He's fearless, he's principled, and he doesn't care. He just doesn't care what the media mob says about him, and he doesn't pay any attention to him. And neither do you, which is what makes you an outstanding scholar and professor. And I want, folks, for you to grab a copy of this book, The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment. You can go to Amazon.com directly. It is a fantastic book. Um, and you can hear Randy's very, uh, very, very good at what he does. This is what he does. And by the way, you were a prosecutor in Chicago, right? For how many years? I was. Uh, four years. I was a felony court prosecutor in uh, 26 in California. So the, the, the Rittenhouse case seemed to me to be a, a no-brainer. That doesn't mean you go through angst and all the rest of it, but it was very bizarre that they brought this case, I thought. It was a political prosecution um, of this ki- kid. Um, it was a clear case of self-defense. We know that from the evidence. Um, you know, Derek Chauvin was convicted on the basis of video. Rittenhouse was acquitted on the basis of video. Mm-hmm. Um, if we hadn't had video, that guy would be doing life uh, because of this, the political nature of the situation so there in true. Kenosha and the prosecutor's office there. If we didn't have these, these young independent journalists who go into, into these communities, into the danger that's taking place with their iPhones and their other other devices and so forth, we really wouldn't know, would we, Randy? No, no. It, it, it's, it's really remarkable. They saved this kid's whole life because they, they memorialized what happened. Uh, the over the, I mean, I was very, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed yeah. to have been a prosecutor seeing how the prosecutors oh behaved in this God. case. But this is, not the, this is not the first time. We had the Duke Lacrosse case where the yeah. prosecutors acted abysmally. It's not the first time prosecutors have acted badly. Yeah, but it seems to be getting worse with all those Soros prosecutors, you know? It, uh, the Soros prosecutors are a problem, Mark. Mm-hmm. They are a problem. But the people have to elect them. People have to start focusing on the elections of their county prosecutors again and, and realize, like school boards, this is mm-hmm. something that uh, average people need to pay a closer attention to than they ever have before. Professor Randy Barnett, Georgetown Law. The book is The Original Meaning of the 14th Amendment, which is very, very important. If you're interested in American history and the Civil War and what was taking place and why there was a 14th Amendment, this is right uh, right in your zone. You can get it at Amazon.com, any major bookstore, on my social sites. Randy, have a great Thanksgiving. You too, Mark. Your kind words mean a great deal to me. Well, they're the truth. God bless. Take care of yourself. And we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. People are saying to me, Mark, what did you do to your hair? It's a joke. I don't have hair. I didn't do anything. Hello. Hello. Everybody home? I think so. You know, the Democrat Party campaigns for the felon vote. And you remember Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders uh, 
he, he made the case that we're not even talking about former felons. Bernie Sanders said that people who are still in prison should be able to vote. Whether they're murderers, rapists, whether they're on death row or not, they should be able to. That's what he said. So it should come as no surprise to you that here you have Kyle Rittenhouse. He was the only of the four white people who hadn't committed a crime. The others were longtime felons with long rap sheets. And who did the Democrats defend their voters? Of course. Three of their voters. That's who they're defending. And um, that's why they, they always come down on the side of the felon. They know that Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't going to vote for a Democrat. I mean, he actually had a rifle. He was actually assisting the community. They call that vigilanteism. Vigilantes? Uh, those are good Samaritans. <laughs> I'm just thinking how these Democrats think. It's really nuts. And just to remind you, I will be on Hannity in a half hour. 9.25 p.m. And you won't see me on TV for a while to my own show on Sunday. With the fantastic... The President Trump was fantastic. And as he himself has said, we have very good chemistry when we talk to each other. You know, I ask a question, I get out of the way. I'm not making accusations or allegations. I want to know what he thinks about a particular subject. And he had a fantastic presidency. You have people say, you ought to talk about what he accomplished, not the election and so forth, and yet they still interrupt him. How about let him talk? How about I take a call? Let's go to Michael Lancaster, Ohio. <coughs> Excuse me, XM Satellite. Michael, go right ahead, please. Mark, I want to know why the uh, the left the left wing liberal is not uh, the left wing media. I'm sorry, is not calling this guy that drove through the the barricades of people in Wisconsin and that Christmas parade. They're not calling that guy a domestic terrorist, but but parents that go to a school board meeting yeah. are, are 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 called a domestic terrorist. What, how, that, that's that a great work? point. I mean, you're asking me to think, think how they think. Uh, I'd need a lobotomy, to be perfectly honest with you. Because that's not possible. Um, yeah, because it makes no sense. You're but, right. But how, how does that work? Like, you know, these, these, these folks... Um, they, it's just really, it's really hard for me as a, as a parent to understand how these, these things happen the way that they happen, you know? I agree 100%. All right, Michael, good call. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Oh, our friend Laudell, Richardson, Texas, on the Mark Levin app. Laudell, how are you? Hey, man, how you doing? Big time. You doing all right, brother? Oh, very well. Thank you. Good stuff, man. Good to hear your voice again, man. Uh, number one, what happened in Ohio, that dude is a domestic terrorist. He needs to have the book thrown at him, and even the books under the ground need to be thrown at him. Yeah. And that was sick. Uh, it needs to be condemned from no matter if you're white, black, purple, brown, yellow, whatever. 
he needs to be condemned. Let me, let me ask you something, Lawdell. I'm, I'm just yeah. listening to what you said. When did it come to the point where everybody can't de- condemn a mass killer? It's, it's amazing to me. Or when did it come to the point where we can't all defend somebody who's defending themselves against people who want to kill them? It's amazing what's going on. It is amazing, Mark, but this, this, this shows that people have fallen in love with their own opinion and not the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is very clear. Uh, the intent was clear. You, you're driving through a parade and you're boring over people. That is a terrorist, mm-hmm. domestic terrorist. The book needs to be thrown at him 1,000%. If you don't think that's, that, that's proper, you need to check your, your pulse because you probably ain't breathing. Laudell, God bless you, my friend. Good call as always. Folks, you're terrific. You really are terrific. Keep hope alive. You certainly do for me. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all of you. Thank you, and God bless you, and I'll see you in 30 minutes on Hannity on Fox. Be well. <laughs> 